0: Thank you for being here this evening. I'm so delighted to see that you're actually here this weekend. Um, It's a blessing to be surrounded by those uh, who care for the same Christ. And if you're visiting us, I'm delighted that you would be here on this particular time of the year. I got to spend some uh, time today with someone who has passed on a gift to me that I want to pass on to you this evening. And the gift is something that has inspired what I hope will be to you, not a sermon or a teaching, but more than anything, really a reflection A reflection on this, that God is in control. Earlier today, uh, my best friend J.C. had a birthday. Today is his birthday, and his wife and his uh, daughters planned a surprise breakfast pajama party for J.C. Uh, And J.C. has been that one person in my life who most often repeats that phrase back to me. Uh, And I was delighted to show up. People had all kinds of funny pajamas and onesies and monster slippers. And I just put a robe on top of the clothes that I was wearing because I wasn't going to do all that. But it was wonderful that the extrovert got to sleep in and wake up to a party. Uh, And everyone was there happy to celebrate him. And they thought of everything. And it was a surprise. And they were able to kind of have everyone there cherishing and celebrating his life. And um, it was such a gift for me because he is that one voice who repeatedly is reminding me that God is in control. And for over 20, almost 30 years of friendship uh, since we've been hanging out in our teens, we remind ourselves of this fact. Whenever we are flabbergasted by life, completely baffled by circumstances, or life just hits you from the blind side and you have no idea what on earth could God be doing now, one of us will turn to the other and say, God's in control. (laughs) Because obviously we're not. Um, And my hope is in this reflection as we share time together is that I could pass on to you something that has been incredibly helpful to me in reminding me exactly how. How I can surrender to that eternal truth of his control. As I thought about after being invited to speak and share with you uh, this weekend, what I would share, the the verse that kept coming to mind is a verse at the top of your bulletins uh, in the book of Micah, Chapter 6, verse 8, where it says quite clearly, The Lord has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly or to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And the first parts of that passage really resonate with us. So much these days, the idea of wanting to see justice in the world when there's so much injustice, the fact that all of us are in great need of mercy every day. But what exactly does it mean to live and believe that we can walk humbly with God? And could it be that it's as simple as realizing that believing with all of our hearts that God is in control? is exactly what would be the obedience to this biblical admonition. I mean, think of 2017, and how, how would you actually walk into each day, every room and every circumstance, if you were completely confident that the almighty creator of the universe was actually walking into the room with you? All he needed was your invitation into that circumstance, not because he really needs it, but because you need the reminder that he's there. What if you trusted that not only your whole life, but your entire career path belonged to God as its author? And if every relationship was weighed against the fact that you are safe in him and able to love others fully. The, there, there are three verses I'd like to pass on to you today that have been uh, powerful and reminding me of how God reveals this truth in our lives and have given me metaphors for thinking about what posture I should have to walk humbly with the Lord and surrender to his control. The first one is the verse that's uh, second in, uh, in your handouts today, the Jeremiah 33, verse 3, where it says, Call on me and I will answer and tell you or show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. That you can call on God at any moment like a child calls on daddy, knowing daddy will answer with the sense of excitement that a child has to go anywhere, holding hands with his or her father, not because they're excited about where they're going, but because they're so excited about who they're going with. And recently I had a reminder about the love of this amazing father who not only responds to us, but pursues us. Um, through the story of a woman named Mu. Uh, I have become a lover of Thai, and this is how I came to meet Mu. Uh, since I met my wife, Giselle, I've discovered Thai food, which is her favorite food of all, and that, that enjoyment has been furthered by my friendship with John Parker. Uh, when John and I go to lunch, nine times out of nine, we go across the street to Sea Tie. And we walk in and we order the exact same thing every single time. And they always give us a funny little look like they're wondering how long we've been together. Uh, and I like to imagine I'm the only other person John takes to Sea Tie. Uh, but we just have a great time when we're there. But when I don't get to have Thai with John, and I'm downtown in my office, I go to a place called Napason. Napason is one of these places that are packed for lunch, but really sparse for dinner. And I'm there at Napa Store meeting with a buddy for lunch, and we sit down, and I'm greeted by this very perky, lovely woman uh, who I did not know uh, was the namesake for the restaurant. But at the moment I ask her name, she says her name is Moo. And with great hesitance, I ask, how do you spell that? Is it Moo like the cow? You know, she, She's like, yes, M-O-O, but it actually means fat pig. Uh, because when I was a little baby, I was big and I ate a lot and that was my parents' nickname for me. My sister's nickname is Nice, which means pretty lotus flower. <laughs> so after the story, she's, she's going on and on and she's so bubbly and so talkative. She starts apologizing and I'm sure you guys want to sit down and you want to eat and you want to get to your food. So let me walk away from your table. I'm just so excited because I just met Jesus Christ and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? What did you just say? And, and she, she starts to tell us how the Lord had come to her in a dream. Now, I've heard how in some of the hardest to reach countries in the world, Jesus Christ has been revealing himself to people in visions and dreams who have never heard the gospel before and are surrendering their life to the Lord by that supernatural experience and here she was telling me how she had dreamt that she had been to jerusalem that she had been transported to the holy land and she's walking down the streets of jerusalem and everyone she sees is busy getting ready and they're cleaning up and they're decorating and everybody is so so busy she can't even get out of anyone what's actually going on what are they preparing for finally she shakes one woman and asks her like what is happening and the woman looks at her with so much excitement in her eyes and she said jesus is coming jesus is coming And in that moment, she says that she looked up and she saw like a mountain towering over this entire city was Jesus Christ. And as she looked at him, he bent over and picked up the entire village in his hands. But then when she looked down and around, it wasn't just the city of Jerusalem. It was the whole world. People from every nation were being held together in his arms. And they all sang and praised the Lord and worship. And next thing you knew, she's waking up in bed, tears streaming down her cheeks, her dog next to her bed. And she's wondering what has just happened. And all she can say is, yes, Lord, I am yours. And since then, had been following Jesus Christ with such great joy and fervor, she could barely contain herself to share it with every other person. So I enjoy going there for Ty as well. But the thought that this God who would answer the heart and the need of someone who doesn't even know how to call his name, is the same God who loves you as his child. And if you call, he will come running. He will answer to your call. What if 2017, you believed with absolute certainty That even when you felt so far away and you're like, you've fallen so far behind, you knew all you had to do was speak his name because your father is that close by. He desires to be nearer than your breath, closer than your heartbeat. If his is the world and everything in it, you are always in your daddy's house. Why not live every day of this new year like a child in your father's house? because a child in the house of a good father has nothing held back from him. All things are his. All you must do is call on him and he will answer. A second picture for me that has been very helpful is in the next verse in your bulletins. Now, this is a passage that often is misused uh, because when things are not going so well, people want to use this to encourage us. And you can believe that God is a good father, but sometimes you're really wondering, what is he up to and where is he at? And if he's so good and he loves me, is he really in this? Because I'm just not feeling the love. And I have been guilty of that at times. In fact, on one occasion, a dear friend of mine, a godly, righteous woman, someone who I knew was an incredible uh, leader and worker in the organization where she was at. She was someone who loved the Lord dearly and loved her people, was an HR manager uh, for a technology company here in town, one of Ross Perot's businesses. And they just started to downsize, and she was responsible for much of that whole process, helping the leadership lay off rounds and rounds and rounds of people. And then eventually after she helped shut down the whole company, they laid her off. And she was calling me in dismay to announce the fact that she had been laid off. And she had hoped that she'd be able to hold on to a role somewhere in the company, but deep down inside, it's not like she really wanted to leave Orlando. And she's telling me this story, and I reacted in such a way that I do not recommend you react when someone calls you for comfort. Till this day, she reminds me, if I see her, my reaction to this call. I, when she told me she got laid off, I burst it out in laughter. <laughs> Uh, because all I could think of, just knowing who she was, knowing how how much God loves her, I knew he was setting her up for something good. I've learned since then, and I don't do that anymore when people give me bad news. (laughs) I don't crack up. Um, And recently I got to practice my improved skill at that with a friend right here at Summit. And Sam Arrocha reminded me recently of the time-honored tradition here of giving people random Hispanic names when you tell personal stories. And so I'll call him Hector. And so Hector is a school teacher, and Hector had been teaching third grade in some of the hardest schools in town with great passion for loving and serving children in these schools. But him and I had befriended each other over a few coffees and lunches, and we'd begun to talk about an appetite to do more, to do something different, maybe even outside of the classroom. And um, then one day I see Hector walking in, and we say hello, and Hector tells me, you know, they transferred me to fifth grade. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, and how do you feel? Well, you know, and everything he said was positive, but I could tell he was not necessarily excited about this transition or how he would do in this new environment. And then I saw him a few days later at something we had here, and he says to me, you know, they transferred me to fifth grade. Like the first words out of his mouth after hello. And then after that, I think the next Sunday, I'm getting coffee, Hector walks up. I'm like, hey, how's it going, brother? He's like, good. Did I tell you they transferred me to fifth grade? (laughs) I was like, you know, you've told me that three times already each time you've seen me? But in the weeks that followed, he gets a random call, a call inquiring whether he was the Hector who controlled the occupational page on LinkedIn for the school district. And so he responded after checking on his profile that years ago when he had actually signed up for it and wanted to connect with other people that worked in the district, he had clicked on a button that made him the person that controlled the corporate page for that organization. And so uh, he responds, says, yes, that's me, starts to help and volunteer the HR department and their recruitment efforts. And the more he gets involved there, the more he also gets excited about what his next transition might be. And eventually asked the supervisor there for a letter of recommendation to maybe go find works somewhere else and after so much giving and volunteering and serving there's silence there's no response to any of his inquiries any of his calls or any of his emails and you can imagine how frustrating that was for him when he thought maybe there was an avenue here for something better and sometimes that's exactly how we feel with the lord i feel like we're calling no one's on the other side i once heard andy stanley provide a definition or an interpretation of romans 8:28. That the verse actually means that it is, it means that the Lord answers every prayer you would pray if you knew what God knows. (laughs) That if you saw things from his perspective, the things you'd actually actually ask for would be very, very different. The life in scripture that uh, I think of often in this context uh, is the life of Joseph. Jeremiah speaks those words we read a moment ago about knowing that we can call on God. But Jeremiah is a man who's been called from an early stage in life to serve the Lord as a prophet. And at the moment he's in prison and he's he's in prison because he's telling the king and the people who live in the city of Israel that, you know what, even though you've been trying to fight off and believe that God's going to do something different, those Babylonians outside the gates are coming to get you. And you will be in exile. And this is not going to end the way that you hope. And because it's deflating the hopes of everyone in town, they lock them up. But Jeremiah also knew the end of the story. He knew that God was also going to return his people and restore his promise and his glory in them. Joseph does not have the advantage of a clear prophecy that predicts his future. But he does also start a relationship with God early in life. Early in life, he has this dream that incites the jealousy of his brothers because it sounds a lot like he's going to be in charge of things one day. And so bad is the envy and spite towards him. They eventually plot to kill him, come short of that, sell him into slavery and convince his dad that he's dead. And he's off to Egypt as human property. And here's someone who in their heart of hearts known they've done no wrong, deserve not to be where they're at. Where is God now? And it's so interesting that in that very chapter 39 of Genesis, it says seven times it makes reference to the fact that whatever happened with Joseph, God was with Joseph. Do we believe that he is that close to us when things are not going well? One way to visualize what our Father's doing at times is like the host of a great party, like someone about to throw you a surprise where every detail has been planned, people have been invited, the decorations, all the arrangements have been made. Even every delay, I remember when I turned 35, my wife planned a surprise birthday party for me, and I remember walking in uh, through the door and being so scared at the shout of surprise, I threw some very funny-looking karate move at everyone that I still hear about today by those who were in attendance. But have you ever been on the other end of a surprise like that where people are stalling you, maybe trying to keep in the other room, trying to get you to show up somewhere else, throwing you signals to get you off the trail of what's really happening? And maybe even you've gotten a bit annoyed at the fact that they're not giving you all the information and you know something is up and you get maybe even a little frustrated only to find out that they're all trying to love on you and love on you so well. He is like that great host who is arranging something he is so excited to share with you, but he's planned even every delay for the proper presentation of this great gift, like a magnificent storyteller that with every, every adversity and downturn in the story, it's only making the end even sweeter. But can we trust him that much? Can we believe in such a great host? The last passage Genesis 50:20 shows us an older, mature Joseph at the end of the story of this great book. His brothers fear that he will now retaliate, that his father has died, that he will take it out on them for all they've done. You see, since we left him uh, being sold on a block as a slave, he was purchased by the head of the guard for Pharaoh to work in his house. He found himself eventually interpreting a dream the Pharaoh had that indicated he had the wisdom and the gift to lead the country through a time of great turmoil. And he was in charge of the entire economy for the greatest empire the world had ever seen. One of the most powerful men in the world, second only to Pharaoh. But at this point in his life, Joseph is able to see something he had never seen before. Sorin and said that life is understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. And in hindsight, so many things become clear, and now Joseph sees how else was some snotty, spoiled kid from some backward corner of the desert ever be trained and equipped enough to be among the most powerful figures in history if it were not because he spent a little bit of time Uh, as a slave and then eventually worked for one of those powerful men in Egypt, the head of the guard was the equivalent of the head of the secret service. How many dignitaries and important people did he meet there? How many secrets was he in on when when that man, Potiphar, did not hide anything from Joseph? It says that he kept nothing from him. He trusted him fully. And then he finds himself in prison when Potiphar's wife accuses him of attacking her and he's locked up and forgotten even by the guys he helps get out and he begs them please remember me here over a decade goes by but while he's there he hangs out with criminals as he's imprisoned there but also administered that president and meets people from every ethnic background and part of the world how else was he to develop the skill to understand people from different cultures and who's a con man and who's a good man And how to discern the hearts of men in a role where he had to do that every single day. And as he looked back on his life, what better preparation than exactly the path that led him there allows him to say what he says in verse 20 of chapter 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What if all along the great master storyteller is painting a wonderful picture that you might come to trust him fully so that you could also be the one who like a gracious host is magnanimous towards others, is forgiving and giving for the glory of God and the good of other people. This is why the most important thing God asks of you is to trust him that he is in control, that he is capable, that he is worthy of your confidence. Maybe more than that you would just love him, right? More than that you, you get this warm and fuzzy feeling when you sing that song and when Andy's at it, like you just want to read, like, yeah, that's fine. Or more than the fact that you're very obedient and you cross all your T's and dot your I's and you, you live by what you've learned from scripture, but th- maybe your confidence is in your ability to do that. Or your confidence is dependent on when you feel really close to God. When all he's asking, what he's been asking us since the garden is, will you trust me? Trust me that I have a plan and it is a good plan. Trust me that I have great intentions towards you. And what if you walked into 2017 with the confidence that he never leaves your side, that he is but a call away, just whisper his name in your heart. And he shows up in mighty ways to reveal things you never thought even possible and exceed all your greatest expectations, but the journey there might not be what you expected. My friend who called ended up landing a super awesome job Mean so many times better fit for her that she enjoyed and had so many different factors where she was able to even integrate her faith with her work in ways that she had always craved never would she left I mean Ross Perot had visited her in the hospital had treated her wonderfully so she never expected to be laid off but she also never expected to leave herself this was the only way she was going to find herself in her dream job my buddy Hector Uh, Ended up finding out the reason they weren't getting back to them was because they were going to offer him a job. Why give him a letter of recommendation to go somewhere else? And a lot of times the suspense that's killing you or the backward momentum that makes you resent is just God setting the stage. It's him lining up a wonderful surprise for you if only you will trust that he is in control. So tonight I want to leave you... With this gift of these three verses, as so I consider what it looks like to walk humbly with my God. When I was in youth ministry, working mostly with kids who did not have a lot of choices and were often coming from incredibly difficult circumstances, uh, it was something that I would use to help us have a handle on how to understand what God was doing. And I used to call it the phone number of invincibility 333 828 5020. And we would remember these 10 digits to recall whenever we needed that God could be called into every situation and circumstance, that he would work all things, even my mistakes, somehow for his greater glory. And thirdly, that even when things are intentionally meant to harm me, he will use them for a greater good. Because it's easier to be vulnerable, to open our homes and our hearts and our lives to others, when we know that we are invincible in him, that not even death can touch you and really end you because we are safe forever in him. Second, I want to offer you something that has been really encouraging to me. Uh, if you use the YouVersion Bible app on your phones, um, if you have that and you open the app um, On the bottom menu in the bottom right, there's a little option for sort of additional resources. Uh, It says more. and the top, it says videos. Uh, And they've got all these great videos like the Jesus film and other stuff. And you scroll down, and there's some stuff from a project that I've been excited about. A couple guys have started something called the Bible Project. And so there's an introduction to the Gospel of Mark. And then there's something that says wisdom. This neat little trilogy interest introduces the three books that are part of the, the wisdom literature genre in scripture, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And they're helpful in explaining something I've struggled to make clear before now in conversations with friends and encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ. That there is a God who, when you read the scriptures, seems to interact in real time with us. We call, we pray, he answers, he responds, we obey, he rewards. But then there's, a, there's this sovereign dimension at which he operates above all things. And when I look at these videos, they introduce Proverbs as with the metaphor of a brilliant teacher. who teaches you to hear the principles of God, obey them, abide by them. You live a good life, break them, you live a bad life. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And this is wonderful truth to know, especially early in life, even though a bit simplistic. Ecclesiastes is akin to a cynical middle-aged man who says over and over again, you know, life is meaningless. Because you can do everything right and things still go wrong and you can be a scoundrel and life just keeps getting better for you. But in the end, the author joins with this cynic uh, to say, in fact, even though that may feel that way, even though it's hard to grasp what is happening in life and why things occur, it is still right to live by the principle that the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And then thirdly, uh, Job Who's a righteous man who does so well? God is praising him in the presence of his angels, talking about how great Job does and how much he loves him. And the Satan, the accuser, comes forward and says, Well, you know, he's just working the system. He's just doing what you'd say because he, so he can get everything he wants. And the trial begins as Job loses everyone and everything he has. Diseased and lonely, his friends come around only to judge him, to say, Surely you've done something wrong. And after this emotional roller coaster and these ups and downs, Job rages, demanding a response, and God shows up in a thunderous storm and this voice that resoundingly calls Job's to attention for obscuring his plans with words that have no wisdom. And he goes into this tirade, giving this tour of the universe. Were you there when I set in motion the stars in the sky, when I opened up the floodgates, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there? Can you call to attention the thunder and lightning or tame the Leviathan? And after verse after verse after verse of this all Job can say is I I I could not I should not have spoken and he is humbled he can't even say anything back to God because at the end of the day when you feel like you need to know why oh lord is this happening he wants you to know I am controlling every detail of this entire creation, and the entire universe is part of my orchestration. And I love you. And I am preparing a wonderful story with your name on it. And I don't need to explain to you, and even if I tried, you could not possibly understand all that I'm doing. So just trust me. Lastly, I'm gonna throw out a challenge to you. When I heard Moo's story and that she shared that visual, all I could think about was that old Sunday school song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Could I ask you to sing that verse with me? Would you join me? Don't leave me up here singing by myself, okay? So I wanna hear your voices, okay? He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. God is in control. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the great and beautiful gift it is to be invited by you, to be co-laborers in the building of your kingdom, You've made it clear. You want us to to walk in your path, to do justly, to live our lives according to the line that you've laid out for us. You challenge us to love mercy, to lean in every single time we wish to bring about wrath or revenge, to ignore the despair of another. You call us to have mercy. How could any of these be possible, O Lord, if we have not fully surrendered our will and our want, our dreams and our desires to the God who is sovereign, who is in control? Lord, this is not about whether you are in our favor or not. It's whether we are in yours. Have we lined up our lives with the work of your beautiful story. We believe that we can live 2017 as children in our father's house. A father who is a great host and a magnificent storyteller. And when he doesn't tell us all the details, when he doesn't share what he's doing, it's because he's getting ready. And who are we to question his methods when all he's trying to do is teach us to trust him so that we can be part of the great adventure with him. May we know, O oh Lord, to walk humbly with you in 2017. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, amen.